This is Report Back, the San Francisco chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America podcast. Our chapter is made up of 1,000 members in 16 issue-based committees where the heart of our organizing happens. This is a praxis-centered podcast where we talk about the tactics and strategies of winning socialism with the organizers who plan and implement them. I'm David Hellman, member of DSA, and this time we have a deluxe episode about the proposed navigation center on the Embarcadero, which would offer over 200 beds to unhoused people, and how it inspired mirror image GoFundMe campaigns and brought out the best and worst of San Francisco residents at tonight's cacophonous community meeting. We're lucky to have two guests this time, Sasha Perigo of DSASF and incoming co-chair of the Homelessness Working Group, and Jack Rice, Development Director at the Coalition on Homelessness. We'll try not to speak over each other. No promises. <laughs> we'll try. You guys have a good rapport, I can tell already, so I think that'll work well. That's good news. <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing from both of you about the all of the activity around um, the, the Navigation Center and the controversy associated with it, um, which has sparked two different GoFundMes, a might say a good GoFundMe and an evil GoFundMe. And, you might say. <laughs> and, and there was also a community meeting tonight with London Breed uh, there that uh, I gather was quite contentious uh, and noisy. Um, and that just let out and Sasha was in there. So we'll look forward to hearing about that towards the yeah. end too. But maybe we can just start off um, Talking about the navigation center, um, the proposed navigation center, which London Breed um, put forward on March 4th, could you guys um, talk about, well, first of all, what's a navigation center? It's a little different from your run-of-the-mill shelter. Right. So what is that? Okay, so a navigation center is a lower threshold shelter than a regular shelter. So... Navigation center allows you to have the three P's, which is your pets, your partners, and your possessions. None of those things are things that you can bring into a traditional shelter. And doesn't it also um, offer certain services, like uh, helping people get connected to um, Mm -hmm. more long-term housing and other things like that? Yeah. um, So it was, I mean, it's in the name, right? The navigation center was set up as a model to have more on-site case management and connections to resources and to exits from homelessness. It's not exactly how it's been playing out as a model, but that's what it was set up to be. What was your reaction to um, London Breed's proposal um, on March 4th? Um, I think, well, we knew that she had set a goal of a thousand shelter beds by the end of the year, I think, or over the next two years. Um, And it perhaps was not surprising to us that this was such a big, bold uh, idea for a shelter because it eats away at a large chunk of those proposed beds. This would have 225 beds. And London Breed's been uh, r- running kind of late on her proposal, so we weren't surprised that something of this size was proposed. Yeah, so for us in DSASF, um, we try and work really closely with the coalition and because since they're really the subject matter experts here, um, follow their lead. Uh, but we also have some um, residents of SROs in DSASF who are currently unhoused or formerly unhoused um, members. 
And there are, we're obviously excited about more shelter beds, point blank period. That's a good thing. Like we'd rather people be inside and sleeping on the streets, but there's some concerns within our working group about the fact that, you know, Mayor Breed is trying to meet this 1000 bed goal. And so this might just be checking a box of trying to fit as many beds as possible into this navigation center without really talking to unhoused people and addressing their needs about what they need in this center. Are there particular things about this proposal that you think specifically are not well considered or, or, or could be better for unhoused people? Well, I think there are a couple of things um, that relate to the city's approach generally. And I think this idea is kind of an apotheosis of those issues um, in that the city is not good at allocating funding for uh, shelter spaces that are appropriate for people who have experienced a lot of trauma or who might not do well in a congregate setting, um, which given their goal of, um, of dealing, quote unquote, with chronic homelessness, that's a large amount of the people that they would put in a site like this. So our concerns relate to many of these people won't do well in a congregate setting. And it's a particularly large congregate setting. Um, I guess that would be a primary concern. And the other concern is that at this point in the evolution of navigation centers, um, they're actually only bringing people into the navigation centers based on uh, complaints from the quote unquote general public. Um, and that means that you can't get referrals to navigation centers through uh, community organizations. You can't self-refer, you can't turn up and say, I wanna be in this navigation center. You have to be the subject of a complaint by another San Francisco resident for being visibly homeless. Um, and scaling that up could lead to a scaling up of enforcement around the navigation center. So that's a concern we have as well. Yeah, your... our... Go ahead, Sasha. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say ours are very similar. Um, the ones we've heard, I've heard from members of DSA internally are mostly um, about, and what I heard tonight at this navigation center meeting is kind of to like appease the public um, you know, SFPD especially basically just wants homeless people to get off the streets. And so one of the things that Commander Lazar was saying today was that he actually promised to increase enforcement of encampment. So increase sweeps um, around the space of the shelter. So that that's really concerning to us. The fact that like there's this offer of shelter is contingent on like more policing and more criminalization of uh -huh. homelessness. Um, and then similarly, some of our members, one of our members is autistic and they've expressed concerns um, about they would not wanna live in a space that has 200 beds in the same room. And I can't imagine that either. What's your opinion of the proposed location for the navigation center near the Embarcadero uh, seawall lot 330? That's of course um, what's in contention right now. Um, the local residents uh don't want it there or many of them outspokenly don't want it there what do you guys personally think about the uh the location so i think that the location is a moot point and that it's being weaponized in the same way that other other discriminatory uh perspectives are being weaponized as a means to try to to shut down the navigation center but i think it's a moot point because there are already about that number of unsheltered homeless individuals in that area. And it would only make sense to put a shelter and resources where people are. Um, there's this uh, 
misconstruing of the situation by the residents where by rather than the one plus one equals two of a shelter for the people there, they won't be on the streets. They're deciding that the shelter will actually increase the number of homeless people there, which is counter to the explicit reason why the shelter is in that location is because there are about that many homeless people in that location, unsheltered. Yeah, to quote some of the um, presentations from the meeting today, they were telling us the reason they chose this location is because of its proximity to unsheltered homeless people and also its proximity to transit, um, which is true. It, it is actually, you know, most people take public transit if they're living there and it is actually quite accessible. Um, one of the things we've repeatedly heard weaponized by the opponents of this shelter is like, we already have shelters in District 6. Why aren't you building shelters elsewhere? And um, I just reject that notion fundamentally. Like, homeless shelters aren't a, um, aren't a punishment. And at the end of the day, of course, we should have more shelter and more housing for people. But that doesn't mean that this shelter can't go here where it's needed. Um, and it's also notable that the residents saying this aren't residents living in the Tenderloin or living in places that have these shelters in District 6. They're mostly very wealthy residents living in very wealthy parts of District 6 that don't have shelters near them. Let's talk a little bit about the um, GoFundMe, the bad GoFundMe. Um, mm -hmm. We have an opinion here. We don't hide it. Um, <laughs> so... There was a GoFundMe called Safe Embarcadero for All, which has been active for 14 days now. Could you guys just, uh, why don't you just set that up and talk about what that was? I can, uh, I can set the context for that. So, and I actually learned a little more because I did some Googling. But basically, I can't remember the name of this resident, but there is a resident who is active on Nextdoor and active on uh, Rincon Hill Neighbors and other neighborhood groups um, who posted a blog post saying that the city is pushing through this shelter. There are going to be uh, drug users and sex offenders, et cetera, et cetera, really demonizing language um, in our neighborhood as a result of this. Um, this resident in this blog post said, it is my recommendation that we pitch in maybe $250 per person to pay for a lawyer so we can stop this from happening. And uh, following that, the GoFundMe was set up. Um, and the lawyer was chosen that the GoFundMe would explicitly benefit all of the money is going to their lawyer, uh, Andrew Sex, who is somebody who already has a really terrible reputation as kind of a lawyer from the dark side in the city um, for numerous reasons. Um, so that's how that came about. One of the particularly egregious things that this lawyer has done, so he and his firm advertised themselves as being like the primary lawyers for, like the premier lawyers for property owners. And he has actually helped a lot of different landlords evict people through Ellis Act cases. And Iris uh, Kanata last, I don't know what year, I'm not sure if it was last year, but was evicted from her home um, by her landlord, whose lawyer was Andrew Zachs, at the age of 100, even though her lawyer said that that would be a medical risk um, to her. And she died the week following um, this eviction that this lawyer Andrew Sachs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's the lawyer they chose. Um, and that's yeah. what their uh, GoFundMe was raising money for. And they didn't even end up like they Ellis Act this woman to redevelop the building. They never redeveloped the building. They just completely wanted her out. So that's the type of person this lawyer is. 
and the GoFundMe directly benefits him. Like if you look at GoFundMe, it'll say like, we're raising money for Andrew's acts. It's like, isn't this supposed to be for a cause? Like so, this lawyer yeah. doesn't need money. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. And that's one of the funny things about the GoFundMe is that most of the donors are first time donors to GoFundMe, as in they haven't been donating to, you know, people who need the money. They've never given a charity. Ever, ever. <laughs> but they joined GoFundMe to raise money for a notorious LSAC eviction lawyer to stop a homeless shelter being built next door to their buildings. Yeah, do we know anything else about the people giving to this GoFundMe? For example, I heard that 66% um, of them um, opted to give anonymously. Right. Yeah. So another huge notable thing about these donors, um, so the person who set up the GoFundMe and a large amount of the donors of the GoFundMe all live in the same building. Some people did some research and that building is actually the watermark. It's a condo complex and they have a rooftop pool and their rooftop pool overlooks the parking lot on which the shelter will be built. So that is a large part of their motivation for opposing this. Um, Hoodline actually reported on this, um, if you want to look up a source. Uh, but yes, a large number of the residents are upset that this will block their pool view. Yeah, they're um, careful to frame this as though they were uh, empathetic, but you're saying it's pretty paper thin. Right. And it's anonymous. Yeah. It's anonymous donors, anonymous wealthy donors, um, even though... Uh, the other campaign that was started in opposition to this campaign in opposition to the shelter um, has received donations of 25000 or $10,000. Uh, the average donation on the good fundraiser is about 80 to $100, and the average donation on the evil fundraiser <laughs> is around $400. Yeah, fifteen hundred. So, oh, sorry, fifteen hundred people donated to the fundraiser for the Coalition on Homelessness. So that just shows how much more community support there is. Well, let's yeah. talk about that one now. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Jack, were you? Did you basically set that one up? I mean, I know you're pretty instrumental with the social media. Um, okay, so I'm the fundraising team at the Coalition on Homelessness, um, and I also do a lot of the social media. We all do. Nobody's really 100% on who's posting all the time, and sometimes we laugh about it or are surprised or discuss it later on. Um, but so I was actually just trying to get on Twitter more on the coalition's page, and I came across this uh, shelter and the discussion about the op opposition uh, legal fees fundraiser. And uh, I tweeted as the coalition, maybe somebody should give us $10,000. We would love that. We would make it stretch further than this lawyer. Um, because the discussion at the time was around how there had been an anonymous $10,000 donation to the lawyer's fees campaign. Mm. Uh, then this guy, William Fitzgerald, um, who I don't know personally, but friends of friends. Um, and He's Sasha a labor organizer. Yeah, that. he works yeah. with um, the worker agency, which represents a bunch of different like immigrant and labor campaigns. Mm -hmm. I don't know, just a community member. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he, the next morning, set up a fundraiser for us. Um, and I guess loosely in response to the ask from our Twitter account to give us some money wow. that we could stretch further than this lawyer. So you um, were kind of thinking out loud on, on the internet yeah. and, uh, a friendly labor, labor organizer jumped in to make it real. Yeah. And um, what happened after that? What happened after that is the, um, so I remember seeing it and thinking $10,000 goal. That's cool. Um, and then 
it started to snowball really quickly, actually. And within two days, we had almost a hundred thousand dollars in two days. So the the say the first uh, the the GoFundMe against the navigation center called Safe Embarcadero for All has a funding goal of one hundred thousand dollars. And yeah. when I when I was researching earlier today, it was at eighty nine thousand three hundred twenty. Yeah, uh, fourteen and, days when since it passed when it started, yeah. and your GoFundMe called Safer Embarcadero <laughs> for All caps. Yeah, uh, had a funding goal of one seventy five thousand. Was that set at the beginning? The funny thing is that so we asked for ten thousand, right? Jokingly, yeah. I tweeted it out loud as the coalition, and um, he responded, setting up a fundraiser with the goal of ten thousand dollars. Um, which for the first, you know, hour or two had maybe $10, $25 donations put into it. Seemed like something that might happen, might be reached eventually. And at the time that that fundraiser was started, um, the evil GoFundMe was at about 60000 And we thought, ha, wouldn't it be funny? And this was kind of internally at the coalition, if we were able to get anywhere close to that $60,000 that has already been raised. Um, and then within a couple of days, we had past that total by tens of thousands of dollars and now we're almost at twice the amount that they've raised can you talk about like the relation between this and your annual budget because i thought that was super interesting yeah i mean this is this is about a third of our annual budget um it usually is something that we will raise over the course of you know months and months and months and months through various means um and the number of individual donors is actually in the past Four days, I think the campaign has been running, um, is three times the number of individual donors we usually have give to us over a year period. So it really is an astoundingly important amount of money for us. Has anything like this ever happened before where there was a dispute in the city or something that became newsworthy that actually spurred this much, uh, this th this kind of attention and donations? And I mean, how do you think of this as like being a unique case or not? This is a unique case historically and has not happened before. Once it was uh, earlier in the campaign, when it was around $10,000, $20,000, it reminded me of a couple of years ago when uh, I think Y Combinator did some kind of seed funding competition that a fake startup won only so that they could donate the money to the Coalition on Homelessness. Um, <sighs> that was something that, that made us visible and brought in a bunch of surprise donations and we didn't have any part of starting so similarly this is like that but it's on a much bigger scale and um what do we know about who's contributing to uh to this gofundme somebody was showing me a stat earlier that about 80 percent of all donations are under a hundred dollars um and i think it's two-thirds of the, the donations are under fifty dollars so it's primarily small donors um yeah. I saw when Mark Benioff gave $10,000, um, it was between two different individuals who had given $5. So it's a whole range. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and to kind of comment on this from like our thoughts, um, from like a socialist standpoint in the homelessness working group, I think this is A, really cool and really heartening. And I'm so happy that we were able to raise so much money for like really a radical nonprofit that usually does not have this budget. Um, but I also think that it is noteworthy um, and a little sad and frustrating and a reminder of the times that, you know, um, Mark Benioff and Jack Dorsey and um, the CEO of Twilio, I, I don't know his Jeff name. Lawson. Jeff Lawson. <laughs> yeah, Jeff Lawson can like 
just at the drop of a hat, donate $10,000 and And, it's uh, less of a percent of their income than someone's $5 donation. And it is just, it's so frustrating to me, like how they can choose at the drop of the hat to make this a headline and like make this this when they could have been doing this all along, you know? And so it's like uh, today in the office, uh, we had a formerly homeless, kind of marginally housed black trans woman who brought in some money and was like, I really want to contribute this to the campaign. I heard about it on the news and it was like a huge deal for her. And then you have, you know, these like Matt Friedman Friedman from GitHub or whoever just throwing down $10,000 because there's a trendy campaign happening that is good, you know, optics. Yeah. And it's so frustrating too, because like for these small organizations, like what really makes, um, it's also, I mean, first of all, we should talk about the fact that Jack Dorsey opposed Prop C. So he was opposed to being taxed for this purpose. But when he feels like it, he'll throw a $10,000 down so he can make the news. Like that is inherently like, speaks to like the problem with like the nonprofit industrial complex and like philanthropy and like all that bullshit. But then also like the fact that where was I going with this? Well yeah, absolutely. I mean it's better than being on the other side, but we can't yeah. let um this sort of like paltry um you know these these paltry donations for like super wealthy people uh right. cover up the systemic issue that like yeah. If we just tax them right. way more heavily, then we could distribute the money. Like Jack Dorsey is Jack Dorsey is purportedly um, the reason that he's moving square to Oakland from San Francisco is because he doesn't want to pay as much tax. Um, he was already litigating against the city for uh, a different tax code because oh. he considers square to be tech rather than financial tech, and he could get taxed less. And I guess that wasn't going so well, so he's now moving to Oakland yeah. to you know disrupt their working class communities it's really unfair it's really hard for them yeah it is but so that's yeah sorry i i think that the other thing that's worth remembering here i think this is a really heartening story about how honestly the community isn't as anti-homeless as nimbies make it out to seem like i think most people would not be okay if they knew what was happening to homeless people on the streets they would not support it um but i also think it's important to remember that even though like you can put these web these donations side to side on a web page they're not directly in competition and even though the coalition just raised almost 175 thousand dollars which is incredible that doesn't mean that the money that these nimbys raise won't be used to hold up the city in litigation and delay shelter for these people and i think it is so sad to remember it's both like this experience is both heartening and a wake-up call that um rich people's money goes like so much farther and like they can hire this guy and even even if they don't win this lawsuit still there's people who's like shelter and their livelihood and like maybe their um, life will be like delayed because of this. And so, yeah, that's that's still happening despite this good fundraiser, right. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. Um, so uh, you've raised $161,465 so far of 175,000 goal. Um, yeah. Are you talking, I mean, you must be talking about what you're gonna be doing with this money. Um, mm-hmm. How does this uh, this change your your plans in the near term, and what can that do to to assist with this this effort to build a navigation center or other things? Um, well, basically, we took a big hit to our budget because for 
some currently unresolved reasons, um, uh, our major funder pulled out of funding us, and we were really worried about being able to keep staff on and, you know, keep the doors open over the next couple of years. So primarily, I think this money is going to be sustaining our continued existence as an organization, and that means that we will be able to continue advocating with homeless people for uh, homeless people-centered uh, solutions. Um, and, you know, for example, that would be, in this instance, is, uh, is giving folks the resources to be engaged as people who are unsheltered and homeless in the conversation about the building of a navigation center, um, getting it pushed through um, what it would look like in, in its most, you know, ideal and holistic uh, vision of, of that and, um, and these types of things, just developing strategy and and solving some of these issues with homeless people at the forefront of that conversation. Do you look at this as something that might, I mean, it's historically unprecedented, but is there any possibility to repeat it or to take these lessons forward? I mean, um, yeah, like, can you can you springboard off of this success into into something else? Or is it just like, thank goodness, uh, this one, this one right. thing is going our way? Right. It's like, thank goodness, thank goodness that um, we are less worried about having to close our doors or cut staffing. Um, and it's also, yeah, no, I mean, it's like a springboard into like a shark infested swimming pool because it also elevates some of the nastiest parts of the discourse where you have like this big kind of binaristic conversation about shelter or no shelter that um, mm -hmm. doesn't, doesn't allow for the nuances that need to exist. Um, so with it being a positive in terms of opportunities to like educate um, folks and to, you know, engage homeless people in this conversation, um, it's also a problem because it can build some, some difficult narratives that we, we then have to spend time and resources breaking down again in order to maintain a positive momentum. Mm -hmm. We have so many thoughts on this from the meeting today. And oh, the wow. other thing I'd like to say with like taking this forward um, to like, any DSA listeners or listeners in general who have means for small nonprofits, like what to keep the doors open, like monthly donations are so critical and is like so much more important that you give regularly and not just this one time. So mm -hmm. if you are listening to this podcast and you are someone who donated to this fundraiser, I hope that it put the coalition on the map and that you would consider a monthly donation or paying monthly dues to DSA too. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I actually have to run in a couple of minutes, sure. um, but I can, yeah. Oh, great. Well, yeah, uh, Jack Rice, thank you so much for, for joining us. I mean, if you want to stick around, you're more than welcome. We're going to shift gears to the meeting. I think, um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it here. Um, you can shift on to the meeting. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, yeah. Jack. Thanks for having Bye, me. And thanks for talking about this. Bye, you guys. Bye-bye. All right. Are we Hi. still here? Yes. All right. Hi, Sasha. Hey. So let's talk about the meeting you just came out of. It sounded really uh, contentious. I was following your tweets and there were some videos being posted. Uh, Mayor London Breed showed up and, and uh, there was so much noise in the room that she couldn't talk. Uh, like, yeah. can you just describe the meeting? I mean, what were you expecting and what happened? Yeah, so I'm kind of like the perpetual optimist. I never want to believe things are going to be that bad, which is funny being in a socialist organization because I feel like so many of our comrades are like very um, cynical. <laughs> and so, you know, I was kind of, I, I hadn't been to one of the navigation center meetings before. There was one that some of our comrades went to a few weeks ago. 
and everyone was like, it's so hard to sit through. It's horrible. Like it's going to be horrible. And I don't know. I, I didn't believe them really that much. I wasn't like that prepared for it. Um, but oh my gosh, this was really like nothing I'd ever seen. Um, so it's at the Delancey Street Foundation, which I, I don't know. It looks like, I think it's a private building. I'm not sure, but it's this massive room. And there were probably like thousands of people there. I want to say like two or 3,000 people there. Um, I'm not great at estimating, but like the room was packed. There was standing room only. And it's like this massive ballroom. Um, and so on the plus side, we were handing out signs out front with the Coalition on Homelessness. So there wasn't, um, there was an opportunity for public comment today. So the way that we are trying to make people visible is handing out these neon pink signs saying, hate has no home here um, to show that like we supported the navigation center. So to be visible anyway. The plus side is we completely ran out of signs. We completely ran out of signs and stickers. There were way more people who wanted to support the navigation center than we anticipated. But unfortunately, there were way more people who wanted to oppose the navigation center than anticipated. Wow. And we're sitting. Um, so first of all, you can kind of tell who's who because all of the people opposing, I mean, they look like they live in luxury condos. Like they're coming in in business casual, like high heels, bleach blonde. Like it was honestly like pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. um, and they're literally um, booing and screaming over all of the presenters um and at one point a woman literally we were talking about people who use drugs um who might be unhoused and this woman yelled but you're not locking them up you're letting them back on the streets like she was literally screaming over the presenters to advocate for putting these people in jail mm -hmm. so it, it was pretty hard to sit through i'm not gonna lie <laughs> yeah it's very disheartening yeah I mean, often, yeah, the people, you know, go, going to hearings and stuff, in my limited experience, um, there's a lot of, I don't know, the things I've been to, the hearings about the sweeps, for example, there was way more support in favor of human rights and, and rights of unhoused people. Um, yeah. And of course, we're in a community where that's what, you know, that's what we all do and believe. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you, there's, uh, clearly there's, there's, or, they're organized on the other side because they feel threatened by the presence of this and they wanted out of sight. And yeah, so there was a lot of turnout. Yeah, and kind of just speak to like what we were talking about before, the like flattening of the discourse and the complete inability to kind of like get any sort of like socialist or like pro um, self-determination for unhoused people messaging through. I mean, the two sides of the room, right? We're listening to the cops and London Breed speak in favor of the shelter. And then we're listening to all of these other super wealthy people like scream at her. And it's like at the same time, the rest of the work we do in the homelessness working group has been about opposing the sweeps, opposing property confiscation, which are these programs are run by the same people who are supposedly our allies on this issue. So it's it's very frustrating because you're sitting there and you're like on the one hand, you know, like you almost like want to side with breed over the people booing her down right. but at the same time like she's continued these programs the entire programming they're due you know i think they spent more time asking the housed people in the room what color they wanted to paint the shelter i shit you not there were 10 slides about what color they wanted to paint the outside of the shelter than any feedback from any unhoused people about the services in the shelter at all point blank period so 
it's frustrating because some of our comrades who like are unhoused or formerly unhoused um, have come to these things and they've had a really hard time sitting there because they have problems with the proposed model of the shelter, but they don't want to like get up and speak about it and be perceived as a NIMBY. So it's really, it's really challenging to like add nuance to that conversation. Yeah. I remember in that sweeps hearing that uh, Commander Lazar got up and left before the public comment. Yeah. Um, it's not, not somebody who um, we saw as um, sympathetic to, to our concerns, but then in this, in, in this context, he's actually in favor of the, the navigation center. He's there talking about how the, the cops would support it. And you can see how they're just part of this larger system, which also includes the, uh, our residents, our neighbors who are like really pushing them to, to oppose this and not, you know, you can see the pressure put on them also and, and, and like how much the intolerance and lack of kind of neighborly systemic understanding there is of the need to address, address a problem in our city. Um, Totally. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And I think um, the reason it was so important for us, um, for some of us in this committee, so Harvey Williams, Evan Owski, Shanti Singh, there were a bunch of other DSA people there with me who I don't have time to name them all. But the reason it was so important for us to show up, even though we knew that there was this lack of nuance in the conversation is because we can't begin having a conversation about what we want the shelter to look like and about self-determination for unhoused people if our elected officials feel so bullied and litigated against by the public that they don't think the public supports shelter at all, right? Like if the takeaway from these public meetings, my concern would be is like, oh, it's not worth it. They're gonna sue us. We shouldn't even try to open a shelter. Like we, we can't even start to talk about what services should be in that shelter. Um, so yeah, it feels like we're a, we're a long way from where we want to be. Um, but I also think that there's better avenues to organize than at these meetings. And I think that there's other ways we can get this pr more productive messaging across than these public hearings. Yeah, it's kind of sobering to hear about, you know, going from hearing about the fundraiser, which is doing so well, where it looks like we're winning, and then to hear about the meeting where it's obvious we have so far to go. What do you think is yeah. the, the move now? I mean, what, what should we be focusing on right now? So in terms of like trying to change the rhetoric around the navigation center um, the way we want to. So one of our comrades, Jordan Davis, actually wrote an op-ed for the San Francisco Examiner. I hope it's published this week, um, but about uh, her experience. Um, being, she lives in an SRO now and she's very open about being like formerly unhoused and about the problems that she has with this navigation center proposal. And I, I'm really looking forward to that because I'm really looking forward to having more of a long form place to express those thoughts um, rather than this binary yes, no, yimby, nimby of like these public hearings. Um, I think we're going to continue, um, I think we're possibly going to write something as a working group. We're talking about writing more um, to try and get our message out in like other avenues about like self-determination for unhoused people. Um, and we're also working with the Coalition on Homelessness right now um, on our Stop the Sweeps campaign, because even though they are opening these shelters, there's still like five to 7,000 people sleeping on the street every single night and the cops are stealing their belongings and stealing their tents and harassing them. 
um, stealing medication, every last thing they have. So I think it's really important to keep the focus on the fact that regardless of how much shelter we have, the way people are being treated on the streets is like not okay. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. Oh, I guess we can talk about what can people do now to help. Yeah, what can people do now to help? That's a great, okay. great idea. Yeah, um, so I'd say if you want to help, well, join the DSASF Homelessness Working Group. Um, so you can email homelessness at dsasf.org to get involved in what we're working on. The Coalition on Homelessness also has um, weekly human rights working group meetings, um, which is where a lot of unhoused folks come together with people at the co, come together with DSA people, and we all share notes. And that's Wednesdays um, on w Wednesdays at noon at the Coalition on Homelessness. Um, so those are two avenues. If you if you have energy and time to give and you want to like get involved in these issues, please join us. Um, also, I would say please write your supervisor. Please write your supervisor and tell them that you support uh, navigation centers and shelters in your neighborhood and that the concerns of unhoused folks should be centered and their self-determination should be first and foremost. Please write them and say that you oppose the sweeps. Um, you can find, if you want to give feedback about this shelter specifically, you can go to hsh.sfgov.org um, or you can just email your supervisor directly. Um, so yeah, and tweet if you want to tweet and support, I'm a big social media person. I think honestly, social media is a great way to get the message out there. Um, we're using the hashtag stop the sweeps. And today's hashtag from the meeting was um, safe sleep. That's great, Sasha. That's a perfect call to action. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, why don't we leave it there? And uh, thank you so much for, for joining me. And uh, we'll follow this as it develops. Awesome. Thanks so much, David. Thanks, Sasha. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. As we close out the episode here, I wanted to thank you for listening and ask if you wouldn't mind sharing the podcast if you've been enjoying it. We're 10 episodes in and looking forward to a lot more to come. Uh, also, if you're a member of DSA and think you might want to take a crack at this, get in touch with politics at dsasf.org. We're looking for more people to run the podcast so we can cover more of our chapter's activities and things going on in our city. The Democratic Socialists of America is the largest socialist organization in the United States. We have over 120 chapters in 48 states. We're an activist organization, not a political party. To become a member, go to dsausa.org. To find out what our local chapter is up to, visit dsasf.org. Our intro music is by Young Chomsky.